Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, do you want to talk about Penn State or the Phillies? Uh, how about the Seattle Seahawks winning yet again? Thank you, Geno Smith. Really? Who who did uh, who they play today? I, I didn't follow any NFL today. They beat the Chargers to move to four and three. And as of right now, I believe they are now first place in the NFC West. God, the Chargers, like, why does that franchise exist? Just what is the purpose of the Chargers? I feel like we as a, as a society have moved past that. They exist as a means to get really good football players money and never win anything. God. Like, um, if you're a Penn State fan and a Chargers fan uh, and you're upset by this conversation, let us know because I truly cannot fathom that person exists. Austin Johnson uh, did get a sack today for the Chargers. That was cool. Hey! Let's go, big fella. I, uh, I I miss Austin Johnson. He was a very good football player. Yeah. Uh, but we uh, we will not sit here and talk about the NFL. We will not sit here and talk about the Phillies. Uh, we will not sit here and talk about anything other than the Penn State Nittany Lions. Penn State picking up a 45-17 win over Minnesota in the whiteout. Uh, it got noted. I, I jotted it down. I forgot who noted it. Uh, but this was the most points that Penn State has ever scored in a whiteout game. 45 points is the record for points scored in a whiteout game, and Penn State did that. And it's a Minnesota defense that came into this game, you know, viewed as one of the best in the country. And, Nick, I will be 100% honest. Even with the understanding of what the environment was going to be like, the environment – lived up to my expectations Mm -hmm. even with the understanding that minnesota was coming into this game with a backup quarterback making his first career start all that sort of thing i still did not anticipate this emphatic of a performance by penn state and to that you know i have to tip my cap it was one hell of a on both sides of the ball one hell of a game for the Nittany lions yeah yeah i I agree with that i think you know uh, like yeah, we weren't expecting them to do a whole lot in the passing game. You know, even if Tanner Morgan had played, right? Because they just—that's not really what they've done this year, and especially with Chris Altman bill out for the year. Um, but we—I don't like—I didn't expect Minnesota to struggle to run the ball, and I certainly didn't expect to mm-hmm. see them struggle on defense. Both of things, which are things they did. So yeah, I was—I was really impressed, um, especially with you know when Penn State got into a groove they did a really good job of staying in a groove. Like in the first half, when they finally got on the board with the field goal, that was the first of three consecutive drives that ended in points. In the second half, the first four drives of the second half all ended in touchdowns and they had one punt towards the end. Like that's for as it's it's still a really inconsistent football team, but when they get rolling, they can really roll. It was impressive. Mm -hmm. And, And I'll say this, Nick, I'm looking back at the box score and the drive chart now. And the way this game started for Penn State, Penn State's offense, Penn State's defense did a, did a nice job. They were great. I mean, basic, they, they were fantastic. They were fantastic all night and really didn't allow Minnesota to get much of anything going on offense until that final drive in the first half where they scored a touchdown. But this game starts, you and I talked about this. You and I talked about how it wasn't hard to imagine a scenario where 
Penn State's offense went out there, really struggled early on, and the environment went from the most hostile in college football to all the anxieties that exist in the fan base kind of coming to the forefront. And you look at how this game started. Three and out where, you know, just nothing really worked for the offense. Three and out where, you know, I believe Mitchell Tinsley uh, would have – I can't remember which drive this is on. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley would have had a first down. uh, It was the second. It was on the first drive. Okay. It was on the first drive. So – Oh yeah, three and out where Mitchell Tinsley could have gotten the first down, decides to try and break it, uh, ends up going a little bit behind the line of scrimmage, uh, line to gain as a result. Penn State punts. Second drive, Penn State punts. Third drive, Sean Clifford throws a brutal interception, and at that point, Penn State's offense had run eight plays and gained fourteen yards in, and that's you know basically all the first quarter. At that point in the game, I thought it would have been very easy for Penn State's offense, defense, and fans to have all just gone, not our day. And I don't know about you, but I think it, I learned something about this team based on the fact that they went, no, we're, we're, going, we're not going to be deterred by this. And then they just came out like bats out of hell in the aftermath. Yeah, I think it helps that the defense is playing so well. Um, yeah. Like, you know, up until that touchdown drive, let's see here. Minnesota ran 3, 9, 13, 16, 21, 24 plays for a total of 25, 22, 23, 31, for 31 yards. Like, that's all they did yes. in that first half until that touchdown drive. That's crazy. Um, so I think the defense playing so well definitely helps um, avoid that kind of thing, especially after the interception, which I believe brought them all the way down to like the 15 or so after the return. Um, and the fact yeah, that that drive... Yeah, uh, return to Penn State 14. Yeah, and then that drive was four plays, negative three yards. So the fact that the defense was able to stand so stout in that moment, like if they had given up a touchdown there, then I think that would have potentially been a path um, towards a white flag being waved. But... Yeah, I, I agree. This was impressive resolve by the offense. And I actually think the fact I wasn't quite as worried. Sim- I, the, t- the interception was a bad throw, but it was a good play because if he leads Washington towards the sideline, that's a touchdown. Like the safety was not yeah. in a position to change that play if he had led him in the correct direction. So I think for me, the fact that they like called that play and Clifford was willing to throw that ball early. I actually felt okay about, you know, the offense going forward in that game. I was like, okay, I feel like they're actually going to try to open some things up down the field today. Um, but no, you're right. Like it, it showed a lot that they were able to rebound from a really, really tough start against a really, really good defense. Um, and then do what they did. It was great. Yeah. A fantastic performance by Penn state on both sides of the football of, uh, Couple fun little notes from this game, Nick. Uh, all of them pertaining to Sean Clifford, and I'm going to put them here because I want to take a second and talk about uh, the performance that Sean Clifford did before we dive into the offense and the defense a little bit more broadly. Uh, this was Clifford's fourth, uh, fifth game with four or more passing touchdowns, which is the most in Penn State history. Three of those five have came in Big Ten games. In this game, he completed his he. 
got to 722 career completions. That is the most in Penn State history. He completed his 75th career passing touchdown. And as a result, Clifford is now fifth in Big Ten history in career passing touchdowns. Uh, The guy right ahead of him right now is Trace McSorley, who has 77. Uh, Then going up from there, third place is Chad Henney with 87. Second place is Drew Brees with 90. First place is JT Barrett with 104. Don't think he's going to catch Barrett. It's going to be hard to catch Breeze, but he has a path to ending this season as second all-time in Big Ten history in passing touchdowns. And the reason that I'm bringing all of this up, Nick, is because before the game, he gets introduced, he gets booed by a, you know, by a portion of Penn State's fans in the stadium. I wasn't there. I didn't hear it. I'm just going off of uh, what members of the beat said on Twitter. After the two, three and outs, he, the offense, they get booed. After the interception, he really hears it from Penn State fans. Even though I think he was, uh, he was like four for four up to that point, and that was his first incompletion of the game. I say all of that to say this. If you told me after all of that stuff, and you told if you told me after all of that stuff that Clifford's stat line was going to be 23 for 31, 295 yards, 9.5 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, a pick, 92.8 QBR, and he's going to start uh, etching his name in Big Ten and Penn State record books, I would have thought you were insane. I don't know if we have ever seen a more impressive performance out of Sean Clifford. Yeah, um, I'm not sure I would say. I, I think I would there's probably a couple other games I'd put ahead of this one, but you know, when you consider the circumstances you just laid out, I, I have yeah. zero issue with that argument. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is a really great game, really great game for him overall. Like I, and I, I'm not sure. Like he, he's just somebody like over the course of his entire career, he's responded really well to adversity more often than not. Um, so I wasn't expecting him to fold or anything like that after that start. Um, but before we move on, I, I will take this as a moment. If you are somebody who, if you're listening to this and you're someone who booed Sean Clifford specifically, you're a bad person. Like, come on. We're talking about college kids. If you want to boo James Franklin or boo the offense at large, sure. You know what? Go for it. Like, have, especially Franklin. You know, he's, he's a paid professional. Just boo him. Like, if he's doing a bad job, boo him. I don't care. Do not boo a specific college kid. Like, grow up. These are, I know Clifford is. 35 at this point but like these are for the most part are 18 to 22 23 year olds like think about yourself as an 18 to 22 year old i know that college football is like this almost mythical space like you forget what their ages are you forget that they're you know actual human beings just out there trying to like figure out how to play football on a grand stage don't boo individual players that's classless be better than that now i'm off my soapbox thank you well while, while you were doing that i will just say um Clifford's uh, QBR in this game, 92.8. He has had three better performances by just based off QBR in his Penn State career. Both Auburn Uh, games? One of the, no, neither Auburn game, surprisingly. Uh, The 2021 Auburn game, his QBR was uh, 89.9, 92.8 this week. The only ones that were better, Iowa in 2021, of course, a game that he left uh, with an injury. Indiana in 2020, where he and Penn State's offensive large played 
pretty well, but ultimately wasn't enough. And then Maryland in 2019, when Penn State's offense walked into a walked into College Park and beat them 59 to nothing. So that was the day uh, they canceled when, class. <laughs> they did. They did. Uh, uh, and and I, I say all of that to say this. Uh, the reason that I think that that Sean Clifford's performance this week was his best one is because when you look at his comparable games, it was two games that Penn State lost, you know, one he leads to an injury, one weird circumstances, basically. Uh, and then it's a one that Penn State won against a team that just totally outmatched. This was a good, you know, wounded and flawed, but a good football team they did that this against. Coming off of a loss, which has been Penn State's bugaboo under James Franklin, and with basically the weight of the world on Sean Clifford's shoulders, because if he went out there and Penn State's offense had three points, you know, seven points and 90 yards at halftime, whatever, it's very hard in my eyes to imagine a scenario where anyone other than Drew Aller is Penn State's quarterback coming out of the half. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, especially then also when you add in the fact that, you know, just for the program, like given the fact that Ohio State is next week, like this was, I, I mean, at, it's it's really hard for me to call any game in college football like a must-win game, but this was a must-win game for Penn State. Like you can't, the, this, this, winning a three-game three game losing streak was yeah. not on the table for them. Like you couldn't do that. Right. Yeah, it Losing this game in the entire season goes off the rails. Like, yeah. it is that easy. Yeah. But uh, we will talk in a moment about Sean Clifford and the Penn State offense as a whole, and then talk about the Penn State defense in a little bit and do all of our recap stuff. But, Nick, uh, what are uh, what are your thoughts on home field apparel? You know, I think I've, I think I've heard of home field before. They make, uh, they make clothing, I believe. Grow up. Uh, home field apparel is the sponsor of our podcast if you have listened to this podcast before you already knew that if you haven't let's talk about home field apparel a little bit i am currently wearing uh home field apparel's we are t-shirt uh if you are watching on youtube i hope you just enjoyed that look at an article of clothing i am wearing if you are not watching on youtube just imagine go crazy yeah. Just, just imagine you've you, you've seen an adult in a T-shirt before. Uh, but if you are a college sports fan and you have not heard of Home Field Apparel, they are a premium apparel company based out of Indianapolis, right in Big Ten country. I actually missed what the Indiana Hoosiers did this week, so I am going to look. Oh, geez. they lost. Right. <laughs> Sorry about that, Home Field Apparel. But as, so, as somebody who bet on Rutgers minus three and a half, though, I'm not upset. <laughs> but if uh, you are someone who uh, might, you know, maybe want to make them feel a little bit better about things. They can take solace in the fact that their shirts are comfortable and unique and their designs are really cool. And they really do an excellent job. I have a number of Home Field Apparel t-shirts, a bunch of Penn State ones. I have one Hawaii one that I really like, and I have a couple of Home Field crew necks, uh, one of which I think is going to be my game day fit uh, for this weekend's game against uh, the team that plays football about 15 miles that way again uh youtube viewers can see what i'm doing if you are listening just imagine a person pointing in a direction uh if you are a penn state fan and want to get your hands on some home field merch whether it's for penn state or any of the other schools in their collection there are 15 pieces of apparel in their penn state line plenty of other apparel and other lines and if you are a new customer use the promo code roar lions roar one word all uppercase for 15 percent off of your first order again promo code 
Roar I is Roar, one word, all uppercase for 15% off of your first order with home field apparel. Thank you very much for sponsoring this podcast, friends. Let's get back to talking about Penn State's win over Minnesota. And Nick, what I want to do is just break down what worked on both sides of the football for the Nittany Lions. And I want to start on Penn, with Penn State's offense uh, because I think that one's going to take a little bit more time and it's worth diving into a little bit. Uh, but this was, you know, another uh, – a couple other little stats from this game. Forty, You know, we, we mentioned 45 points, a whiteout record. This is their first Big Ten game with 40-plus points scored since the Illinois game in 2020. That's not what I expected coming into this. So in your eyes, what worked for Penn State's offense in this game? Yeah, so I think the big thing was, and it's something that we actually talked about in the uh, preview podcast. We talked about, you know, the last few weeks, they've really struggled offensively because they've they've really tried to stick to the run and they've just been getting stuffed. They've been getting behind the sticks and it hasn't led to good things, led to a couple third and longs early in this one. Um, so when they finally went down for that field goal drive, they started to open things up uh, in the passing game a little bit more. We saw those two consecutive deep completions to Theo Johnson for uh, like 18 yards and 20-something yards, something like that. Um, so, you know, one of the questions I know I asked in the preview was like, will we see them, you know, lean more pass happy early in this one in order to open up the run game? And I think that's exactly what they did. Um, we okay. saw them attack downfield with Theo Johnson. We saw them get that deep touchdown to Tyler Warren. Um and we saw the effect that that had on the running game because early on, those holes were not there in the running game. Catron Allen and Nick Singleton were running into brick walls. There were dudes in the backfield pretty much every time they touched the football. But once Penn State got like 10 points on the board, once they showed, hey, we can throw the ball downfield, all of a sudden, Catron Allen's got holes to run through. Nick Singleton's got holes to run through. So I, I, I think we saw them use the pass to set up the run, which is, you know, obvi- it's become more of the norm than using the run to set up the passing football today, college and professional, I think. But um, I really enjoyed what I saw from the Penn State offense. I wouldn't say it was the most like imaginative performance we've ever seen necessarily. Like, I don't think the play calls were anything ridiculous other than like, oh my God, the tight ends exist. Like maybe that was imaginative enough. Um, But I just, it was, I I was really impressed with the way that they were able to open up the offense early on. And then once they were able to show Minnesota that you can't just stuff eight guys in the box here, then they got the balance that they've been so successful with this season. They ended the day with what, 304 passing yards, 175 rushing yards. Like that was a really balanced overall offensive performance, I thought. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 we talked on, in the lead up to the pod, Nick, about how I really wanted to see Penn State's tight ends get involved in the passing game. And a lot of this had to do with the fact that I think when Penn State wants to attack down the field, those are their best options. They are the big guys. They are the matchup nightmares, you know, for uh, how impressive uh, Mitchell Tinsley and Parker Washington could be. Mitchell Tinsley had that ridiculous one-handed catch. Parker Washington went up and just straight mossed a dude at one point. I think Penn State's tight ends are the best consistent options when you are trying to beat a team down the field. You know, a note from Donnie Collins uh, was that Penn State went 8 for 11 on passes 15 or more yards down the field. 
And I don't necessarily think that is a coincidence that that happened in the game where Penn State's tight ends turned into downfield options for the Nittany Lions. On the day, Penn State's tight ends caught seven balls for 118 yards and two touchdowns, average of about 16.9 yards per reception. Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren both were, you know, they were the big play guys. Brenton Strange caught one ball for five yards, but Tyler Warren's touchdown was just him running down the middle of the field, Sean Clifford looking off at safety, and then he had his choice between whichever, I believe, Mitchell Tinsley or Tyler Warren he wanted to throw down the field to. Uh, Theo Johnson, they just had nothing for him once he started going down the field, and it opened things up. When you can throw in the middle of the football field, it makes life easier on the outside. And we saw on Mitchell Tinsley's touchdown catch, that was because – Like everything was happening so chaotically that Penn State just had, like, they just didn't think we're going to get someone out there. It was a complete miscommunication. They, you know, Mitchell Pinsley on his one-handed catch, it was because he was in one-on-one. He was able to get by a dude and Minnesota wasn't able to just have their safeties, you know, kind of taking away deeper options because they had to creep up. They had to be more respecting of those dudes in the passing game. And you, you know, I love the point that you made Nick on how what they were able to do throwing the football made it a little bit easier to run the football. Uh, Nick Singleton really struggled early on in this game on that first drive. He had one carry. It was for one yard on that second drive. He had one carry. It was for a loss of two yards, third drive, Katron Allen, a run for two yards then next thing you know, that drop following drive after that, Allen runs for a yard, and then Penn State starts getting a little bit pass happy. They start trying to chip away on the ground, three yards, two yards, two yards. And after that, Penn State's running game just started to make a lot more sense. It's a lot more four yards, five yards, a little bit longer. And credit to the running backs. I mean, when Nick Singleton gets ahead of steam, nothing is stopping him. Uh, no one's catching up to him. When Katron Allen is able to see a hole, he puts his foot in the ground and he just goes right through it and he'll occasionally run a dude over. But that brings us to the other thing I think we need to talk about here, Nick, and that is that Penn State's offensive line was very, very good in this football game. Yeah, yeah, that was, I'm glad you said that. I was I was worried we were going to move on to the defense before we talked about that. Oh, no. But yeah, they were... Do you really, do you, do you really think I'm going to pass up a chance to talk about Vega Owane? They were outstanding. Um, yeah, I'm really curious to see if Vega gets a chance to get into some games earlier because that was a pretty nasty pancake Ooh. block he threw down on that second singleton run. Um, yeah, the offensive line was awesome. I... Uh, like I'm sure there are things that they would nitpick, like especially the run blocking early, but from snap one, the pass protection was there. Uh, Clifford wasn't sacked on the night and I'm not, I can't really remember a time where I felt like he was in, even in all that much danger. Um, they did a great, and they've been great pass protect. They've been a great pass protection unit all year. That's been their bread and butter. Um, the run blocking is the thing where they've kind of been back and forth up and down but they were excellent. Um, once they kind of, once they got their, once they got settled into the game, they got some of those good pass blocking reps in, then they were able to start bullying in the run game a little bit more and getting a little more downhill on their blocks and spring some of those guys open. But, um, I want to also make sure that we mention what 
I cannot remember the last time Penn State ran a successful screen pass, and oh my god, that one to Nick Singleton, <laughs> beautiful on every level. The 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 offensive lineman held the blocks for the perfect amount of time. The right guys got out. Singleton executed it perfectly. Beautiful, beautiful. If you want, if you go back and watch it again, Juice Scruggs is just waddling down the field trying to figure out who he's supposed to hit. It was great. Yep. Yeah, it's always a great, the, the best executed screenplays have one offense, at least one offensive lineman who's done his job so perfectly that he literally can't find anybody to block. Yes. Yeah, I, I the, the entire offensive line, I mean, they've been good in pass protection basically all year. Sean Clifford yeah. having time to throw has never been a particularly big issue. And, you know, I... This isn't exactly like the Auburn game because the Auburn game, they, you know, they, they were just five guys playing on fire. But I think we got a glimpse of what happens when this group plays with a little bit of confidence and gets into a rhythm. Uh, 5.1 yards per carry against a defense that was not allowing that uh, coming into the game. They were just winning up front against, you know, for everything that we can say about Minnesota's offense and how limited it was due to the fact that Tanner Morgan wasn't in there. You know, it's not like Minnesota's defense had traumatic injury after traumatic injury after traumatic injury. They right. they had the ball more than Penn State did. They had the ball for 31 minutes and 30 seconds yep. in this game compared to 28-30. It's not like Penn State just went out there and basically did what Michigan did to Penn State a week before. Penn State's offensive line was just winning left to right. Oleg Fashanu, that that guy just wins at the line of scrimmage. Like that guy is, you know, he's getting to a point where I think they're going to have to start worrying about who's going to replace him because I think he might be going to the NFL. Hunter Norzad had his best game in a Penn State jersey. Juice Scruggs continues to be over-reliable over there. And then the right side of the offensive line, you know, it's still the weak point. I'm curious, uh, to, not to interrupt you, did, did Wormley get benched? I believe he did. Okay. Interesting. And then I think, yeah, I think Wallace went down for a bit and made a kick after out there. But that Sal Wormley, um, the Sal Wormley, Bryce Eftner, Caden Wallace trio, it's still the weak point of the offensive line. But I thought they held up nicely against a defensive front that has been winning at a pretty high rate this season. I mean, I Mm -hmm. uh, especially want to give a shout out to Norzad because I think that he, after the Eric Wilson experiment went really bit poorly last year, I think that his performance was going to be really heavily scrutinized. And the fact that he stepped in while the guy who was in front of him on the depth chart was out with an injury and just put on his hard hat and went to work, I thought that's really impressive. And that's that's the kind of thing him uh, and you know Bryce Epter is the other guy that's one thing that Penn State has lacked over the last couple of years, which is guy, the first guy goes down, you don't have a guy you can plug in and feel confident in. First guy goes down, you know, you have to hope he's not hurt that bad. Because if you're going to his backup, that backup is just going to be a turnstile for as long as he's in there against the Big Ten defense. So yep. I thought Penn State's offensive line had a fantastic game. Uh, I'm going to, I really hope, really hope uh, Vega Yuane gets as much run as they can possibly give him because one thing they've just lacked is a big, nasty, strong guy. 
and yep. he is a big, nasty, strong guy. I, you know, I noticed it as it happened, but go back and watch Nick Singleton's touchdown. Sean Fitz tweeted out a, a gif of this. So if you want to go his uh, last touchdown, they ran between a hole opened up by Juice Scruggs and Vega Yawane, in which Vega, he was supposed, you know, Scruggs goes this way, Vega's supposed to go this way. Vega's not able to get the guy to go that way, so he gets him to go that way. And he just puts the dude in the dirt. It was awesome. And it's the kind of thing I've wanted to see out of Penn State's offensive line, Nick. When they are able to get into a rhythm, when they are able to play with a little bit of nastiness, I think this is an offensive line that can legitimately be pretty good. Um, yeah. Any, any other final things you want to say about them or Penn State's offense as a whole before we move to the other side of the football? Yeah, it just it's the nasty. You know, when you see an offensive line get really nasty like that, usually it's something that is born out of, um, like what Michigan did to Penn State last week. Like when you know that you're just winning and winning and winning and winning over and over. And Penn State's running game to this point, like the big explosive plays had typically come on outside runs, so things where it's not really like a result yeah. of the offensive line mauling dudes. But this week we saw them do a lot more stuff just like up the gut. And that's the kind of stuff that really gives your offensive line confidence. Not that Vega was in there for those uh, for those carries necessarily, but you could just tell like it, it just the whole demeanor of that position room changes when you're able to consistently win in the middle like that. So that was great to see. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, glad that Drew Auer was able to come in under really positive circumstances. Uh was really glad that we got Tank Smith action. I mean, mm-hmm. anytime. watching Drew Aller and Tank Smith stand next to one another when <laughs> Drew Aller is 10 inches taller and 10 pounds heavier than Tank Smith, really fun, really fun to see. Uh, and then, you know, we mentioned a second ago with the tight ends, I was really glad to see Theo Johnson was able to get some run. Uh after a start to the right start to the season where he didn't play, and then took him a little bit to get up to speed. But that guy is that guy's a difference maker. So I was glad to see it out of him. Was also glad to see Nick that uh, Penn State's defense just decided that Minnesota uh, wasn't going to get anything really. Um, there were they came into this game with, for my money, the maybe the best running back in college football. And yes, there was the issue of. You know, Ethan Kaliak Manis is a backup quarterback and he's going to have some serious struggles in this game. But even acknowledging that, I thought this was just a really spectacular performance by Penn State's defense. Uh, again, you know, we talked about it with the offense and how they came into this game uh, under a bit of a microscope due to what happened last week. Penn State's defense allowed a million rushing yards last week, had to go up against a really good offensive line and the best running back in the big 10 and they just held up the entire time yeah yeah they did and real quick also shout out on the offense tyler warren great job i love i love the fact that they have three good tight ends this is what the seahawks have right now right now too i love it (laughs) um okay so yeah the defense uh obviously the big change this week was curtis jacobs shifting back over to the sam linebacker position abdul Mm carding abdul carter getting the start at the will and then i think it was tyler elsden got the start at the mic like normal um and we said in the preview, I one of my the one of the players I was watching this game was Curtis Jacobs because to this point he had just looked like just one of the dudes out there. Like he nothing, he hadn't really done anything special. He hadn't shown the flashes that we had seen from him 
um, in the year prior. And, you know, for Penn State, that will linebacker position is the spot where you put your star linebacker. That's where Micah Parsons played. That's where Brandon Smith played. That's where, um, you know, that's where they wanted Lance Dixon to play before he didn't pan out. Um, that's where Brandon Bell played before he shifted over to Mike. Then that's where they moved Curtis Jacobs to at the beginning of this year. Like they, I think they were planning on him being the next guy. And I think we saw in this game that, you know, he's just more comfortable in that Sam linebacker role. And cause he ended what 14 tackles, seven solo, two tackles for loss. Like he was everywhere in this game. This was, yeah. I think his best game is in any line. He was outstanding. Um, yeah. And we've talked about, you know, how can they get Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter on the field at the same time? This is the way to do that. And I know initially our, our qualm with it was, uh, I mean, the downside of it is that the Sam linebacker is the one that comes off the field when you go to dime and Penn state has such an awesome secondary that, you know, going to that look with an extra DB is more often than not a good thing for them. But if you have somebody, if you're playing a team like Minnesota or a Michigan, if we could go back in time, like where, you know, the run game is going to be dominant um, and you have a linebacker as good as Curtis Jacobs at that spot, maybe you don't go to that extra DB as often. So really happy to see him just ball all the way out, like just a phenomenal mm -hmm. game for him. And Abdul Carter was also awesome. Eight tackles, three solo, half a sack, half a tackle for loss. Um, he played a great game as well. But I, that was the thing for me. It was just striking how much more comfortable Jacobs looked at that Sam position and how much more he was able to impact the game. And I'd be shocked if that's not the arrangement that we saw that we see for the rest of the year. Yeah, no, I mean you're you're 100 right. I, Curtis Curtis Jacobs is the game changer. The guy who's supposed to be the game changer in that second level of the defense, and him being able to fly around, him being able to just make plays. Led Penn State with two tackles for loss. Led Penn State with seven solo tackles and 14 total. He was just around the football all game. And Abdul Carter, the exact same thing. Eight tackles, three solo, half a sack, half a tackle for loss. Those two are just so good at getting downhill and attacking a ball carry. And this comes with a huge caveat, obviously, that – Minnesota presented next to no threat throwing the football. Right. You know, between uh, their quarterback, between their pass catching options, just did not present a threat that Penn State really had to respect in the passing game. They hit on a couple of chunk plays. That's going to happen, whatever. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to stop a team because the mark of a good football team is the other team knows what you're going to, you want to do and you can't stop it. Yeah. And Penn state still went out there and stopped it. I mean, there were plenty of moments where the middle of Minnesota's offensive line didn't stand up, which huge thing to mention because last week, Penn, the middle of Penn state's offensive line just got pushed around this week. Uh, PJ Mustaver and Hakeem Beeman both fought. They both did a really good job battling, doing the dirty work, and making it so uh, Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter and Jaya Brown and those sorts of dudes were able to come up and make plays. Uh, I thought Nick Tarburton had a nice game. Uh, Tarburton got a, my hunch. Haven't checked at the snap counts yet. My hunch is he got a little bit more run than usual due to the fact that uh, Chop Robinson was out. But yep. 
Penn State just decided they were going to be nasty against the run. And there have been a lot of teams over the last couple of years that have said we need to stop Mo Ibrahim at all costs and couldn't do it. So they deserve credit for that, for sure. And Ibrahim is go he keeps up his 300 yard, uh, uh, 100 yard, apologies, uh, streak of 100 rushing yards that goes back to uh, 2019. Obviously, obviously 2020, he, uh, by 2021, he suffered an injury that kept him out. Uh, great, it's, you know, it's great seeing back on the field, but this game 30 carries, 102 yards, 3.4 yards per carry, 13 was his longest carry of the game. You know, going back to 2020, his worst performance in 2020 was 4.1 yards per carry. His worst performance in 2019. Uh, you know, against Iowa, three yards per carry. But this is a guy who was just always able to get his. And, you know, Nick, I'm going to say this as respectfully as I can. And this is not a knock on him. Um, if anything, this is more of a knock on P.J. Fleck. At a certain point in that game, because of how good Penn State's defense was performing, Minnesota decided its number one priority was keeping Mohamed Ibrahim's 100-yard rushing streak alive. And I think that says everything about the performance that we saw out of Penn State's defense. Like, they just went out there and they won. They were physical. They were aggressive. They did everything they had to. And, of course, it helps when the other team can't really throw the ball. <laughs> uh, nine for uh, Ethan Kaliak Mattis, 9 for 22, 175 yards, 8 yards per uh, eight yards per attempt, one touchdown, one interception, QBR 46.6. But, you know, I think we saw what we wanted Penn State to do against Michigan, which was they were comfortable putting the guys in their secondary on island saying, go take care of business. We're going to focus on the run. Uh, and it worked. It worked in every single way. And to me, you know, throw your hands in the air and rejoice over that because that is fantastic. Yeah, like we talked about, again, on the preview podcast, I, I had said that I did not think the gap between Penn State and Michigan was as big as it looked in Ann Arbor last weekend. And I think this week, this game against Minnesota was proof of that. Not that Minnesota is as good as Michigan. I think there is a significant difference in the talent of those two football teams. And I would not be surprised to see Minnesota drop a couple more games over the rest of this season. But... Yeah. Penn State played with confidence in this game, as they should. As the home team in a whiteout, you should be playing with confidence. But that's what they lacked against Michigan. They played this game offensively and defensively as if they knew what the other team was trying to do and they knew how they needed to stop it, which is what they did not do a week ago. So the fact that they were able to, and yes, backup quarterback, it's very relevant. Like it's, they were not threatened in the passing game. A cup, they, their quarterback threw a very Russell Wilson esque deep ball. I will say that yeah, high arc, yeah. like it was, it was a, it was a pretty ball. Um, but when you know, like, like you're okay with giving that up, you don't mind giving up a couple of those when you know you're going to stop them uh, for the majority for everything else they do. But yeah, I, the fact that Ibrahim got to, I think it was he got to a hundred, hundred two yard or hundred three yards. Then the next play, he lost a yard to get down to 102. And the next play, he went for no gain. And then they threw the touchdown. And then they didn't put him back in. That clearly said all that needed to be said about what PJ Flex's priority was for finishing out that game, which I, uh, I mean, whatever, like do what you want. Pretty, yeah. pretty loser mentality, though, if you ask me. Like, I, I bet Ibrahim wasn't saying, please take me out. I got my 100. So 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we have opinions on PJ Fleck. We won't share <laughs> on here. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, but yeah, this performance by uh, Penn State coming into this game, Minnesota was 10th in SP+, plus, 45th offensively, 3rd defensively. After this game, Minnesota is 23rd, 58th offensively, 10th defensively. Uh, yeah, I mean, not too terribly much. There was a, I do want to shout out one moment. Uh, the one thing I thought Minnesota's quarterback could do was, like you mentioned with that Russell Wilson deep ball, it looked pretty. Uh, he really could launch it down the field when he got the opportunity to set his feet and let it rip. And, uh, you know, they scored their one touchdown over basically that working out for them. Uh, there was one moment where he had that sort of opportunity there for him. He throws up a lofting uh Lofting ball to his receiver down the sideline. This receiver was being checked by Joey Porter Jr. Oh, and Joey man. Porter, the ball hit the dude's hands are just in front of him in a basket, waiting for the football to be perfectly dropped in there. And he threw it to perfectly drop. That was an excellently thrown ball. And Joey Porter just puts his hand over this dude's hand, flicks it away. The two of them are laying on the ground, and Joey Porter just lays there on top of him <laughs> with his arms crossed. This man is a psychopath. And, you know, I'm, you know, we'll talk about Ohio, the Ohio State game here in a second. Uh, I think Joey Porter Jr. is the player I am watching most closely heading into that game because with a big game, I legitimately think he could be a top 10 pick in a number. Like, I already think he's going to be the number one cornerback off the board next draft. He could be a top 10 pick if he uh, performs against an Ohio State. He's going to test out of that. his mind, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Ohio State receivers are going to win. Like, they are going to win plenty. You can't stop them. You can only hope to slow them down. But I think he could have a good game. Um, let's see. Any any final thoughts on Penn State's offense, Penn State's defense, before we get to the business of handing out game balls here, Nick? I love that Sean Clifford threw the touchdown ball to Parker Washington. Um, yeah, we talked we talked earlier about you know the old Joe Moorhead thing of like there are no 50-50 balls. We have not seen Sean Clifford maybe a couple times. Like he has not really given his receivers chances to make those types of plays this year. Like where it's truly just a here's the ball, go get it. Like, it's on you at this point to go get it or not go get it. And, you know, Parker Washington, I, he's had a slow year. He's still an unbelievably talented football player, and that's the exact type of ball that he was built to win because you don't expect a dude his size to be able to get up the way that he does. And his hands are so strong that I, there's not many guys I would want more in a 50-50 or in a toss-up ball mm -hmm. kind of situation than that. So I love that Clifford did that because it's just not something we've seen him do all that much this year. And really in his career, this has not really been the type of ball that he's thrown all that much. I would love to see him start to do that more as this season goes on. Just like give your dudes a chance to prove to you why they were blue chippers, why they are out there. Like I loved that play. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The only other thing, like, I, I don't know what the, I don't know what Cali Kamanis's like eligibility situation is, or what Minnesota's quarterback situation is. I'd be pretty interested to see, you know, him with like a full off season of prepping to be a starter. Like, yeah, there's, I think there's something there. Yeah, uh, he's a, uh, I believe a redshirt freshman class of 2021. But yeah, he was a 
was a four-star recruit, uh, number 319 player in his class by 24-7 composite. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's definitely a good football talent, player. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's get to handing out game balls. Start on the offensive side of the football, Nick, who you, who you, uh, who you giving yours out to? Um... I, I will let you give it to Clifford because I need to bang on this drum that I cool. ha- have been banging on for weeks now. The running game needs to run through Katron Allen. I know that mm. Nick Singleton is a really talented running back and he has the breakaway speed that Katron Allen does not have. But Katron Allen has the vision of an NFL running back. Like he understands how to pick through the line, he understands how to get tough yards he needs to be the bell cow. Like I'm not saying Singleton shouldn't be like, it should, I, it should be like maybe like a 60, 40 carry split or 65, 35. Like, I don't think it should be like anything drastic in one direction or the other, because you got to give Singleton the chances to, you know, show the burst that he has, especially in the past game. If they can start running yeah. screen passes, Oh my Lord, please do it. Yeah. I mean the, the, the big difference between the big difference between the two guys is that I don't know if I will ever see single I don't know if Allen's the kind of guy who one touch and he has the potential to change a game entirely and Singleton sure. has that but sure. there's a ton of value in letting Allen letting Allen just grind and grind and grind and make it so when it's time for Singleton to do that it's a little bit easier right so maybe so maybe what I'm really saying is like maybe give me like a 70 30 carry split in like the first quarter and a half like let Allen wear him down because that's what he's going to do. And not that he like, if you give him space, like he's going to go, like, he's not going to be like a, like he's not Jerome Bettis. Like he's not going to be able to only run eight yards before someone catches. I don't know why Jerome Bettis is who I went to there, but, um, like he's, uh, Hey, Hey, real, real quick. Uh, if you were a Pittsburgh Steelers fan listening to this, Jerome Bettis is the most overrated player (laughs) in the history of the NFL. All right, continue. Some would say the Derek Jeter of football. Um, yeah, so Katron Allen. Shut up! Katron <laughs> Allen, I think, should be the first guy on the field at the running back role going forward. I thought he had an awesome game. So did Singleton. Like, I love both of these dudes. Yeah. I just really, I really love what Katron Allen does for this offense. Sure. And, you know, you mentioned I'm going to give it to Clifford. Um, this was a game that, after that interception, he was basically faced with two options. Uh, go down as a guy who just was a total empty calories quarterback for Penn State. Yes, he won a New Year's Six game, but everything that happened after that New Year's Six game, you know, it turned into it. You know, it was not up to par. It was not up to the standard that Penn State wants its program to be up to. And Sean Clifford would have been the face of that. Like Sean Clifford would have been the face of if we're three years down the road and James Franklin gets fired. He's the guy we're pointing to. And this game could have been the game that we were pointing to as the beginning of the end. And he did not let that happen. And I think for that reason, he deserves a lot of credit, deserves a lot of respect. And now next week, he goes into the only time he is ever going to play Ohio State in front in a stadium of Penn State fans. He has never played, been Penn State's quarterback for a game in Happy Valley against Ohio State where there were fans in attendance and he has earned the right to start that game. He has earned the right to be Penn state's best option to win that game. And if you told me that was going to be the case after the interception, I wouldn't have believed that. So I'll give it to Sean Clifford, uh, you know, and honorable mention for me goes to Theo Johnson for uh, giving Penn state's offense the dimension that they hadn't had. And 
I think that the lack of a vertical passing game with how big of a problem it's been, if just having Theo Johnson as a guy who you can move around, split out wide, use him as tight end, whatever it has to be, can change that, that is a thing that raises the floor and the ceiling of this offense. So shout out to him. That was, that was the only ahead. thing real quick on that. That was We were talking about the, the Mike Yersich quote about tight ends in the preview. That was the only thing I'm like, Sure. Like I get like, yes, your tight ends are useful for helping to chip on guys in the backfield uh, to help out your offensive linemen. Keep Tyler Warren or Bretton Strange in there and let them do that. Literally just line Theo Johnson up as a receiver, because the thing that makes him tough is not that he lines up at tight end. The thing that makes him tough is that he's bigger than everybody that he's going to go up against. And he runs like a gazelle. Like just get that dude in the field. It's the Mike Kosicki thing. Yeah. It is the thing with Mike Kosicki where you have, have to realize, you know, treat this guy like a uh, a wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, coming out of high school, he was 6'6 and ran a 4'6 with a 35-inch vertical. Take advantage. Let that be, you know, they wanted, whether it was Moeek Mega or whatever, being the, like, big physical wide receiver. Use this dude as your big physical wide receiver. Yep. Uh, defensive side of the football, Nick, who are you giving it to? I'm going to split it between Curtis Jacobs and P.J. Mustafer. Because I thought both those guys were outstanding. We already talked about Jacobs, but um, I thought Mustafer is equally as good in the defensive interior. I thought he played a big part in slowing down Mo Ibrahim and the rest of the Minnesota offense, especially after what was uh, not a great game for him and the defensive line in general at Michigan. I thought he bounced back really well. I thought he played like the dude that we know him to be. Uh, I don't think he even actually registered a tackle in this game as I'm looking at it, Um, but his impact yeah, like his impact was still you know in my eyes from what i could see was very notable i thought he did a great job of moving the line all night especially against um i don't remember the kid's name but the the awesome center that minnesota has um like that's that's a really tough competition to go up against so i was really impressed with what he did yeah john michael schmitz yes uh i'm going to give mine also to curtis jacobs i want to shout out two guys specifically one is denied dennis sutton who uh Gets more trusted by the week. Yeah. True freshman played a ton, played really well. Uh, And there was one moment late in the game where he blew up a run and it basically involved him manhandling a six foot six, 310 pound graduate transfer tackle. And if you were doing that as a true freshman defensive end, God help everybody because that guy's going to be good. Uh, And then the other guy I want to give it to is Charlie Catcher. Uh, Charlie Kasher is a dude who came in with so much, uh, you know, there was a bunch of promise about what he could potentially be. Pennsylvania kid, smart football player, you know. Uh, he was one of those, like, committed. not the highest rated, but like one of those, like, pe- like Pennsylvania standouts that you know, always yeah, seems did, to perform. There, were, there was a tweet that Micah Parsons, I vividly remember him sending it on his old Twitter account, the one that got hacked uh, and started, like, trying to give away PlayStations or whatever, where Micah was... Micah was asked who's the best football player who ever went up against, and he said it was Charlie Cashier. And I think this was before Micah was committed to Penn State. I think this was after Micah had decommitted and was whatever. Uh, but Charlie Catcher, when he committed to Penn State, uh, it was either when he committed or when Zach Koontz committed, like tweeted out a picture where it was the two of them in Penn State here as kids at Beaver State. Like, this dude has blue and white running through his veins. And there was one play in this game where uh, – he was in there. Minnesota tries running it with Ibrahim. Uh, sweet play just right off of the right tackle. He gets in there, blows it up. His first tackle for a loss as a Penn State player. And 
after the play, he went over to the sideline. Go try and find this play uh, whenever it was in the game. I don't, I unfortunately don't have it uh, jotted down or anything like that. Everyone on the sideline was overjoyed for this dude. Every single person who was around him had a huge smile on their face. They're smacking him on the helmet, smacking his shoulder pads, whatever. Just a guy who's really paid his dues uh, and is a reminder of how unfair the game of football can can be. But went out there, just had that moment. Had that moment that when you were growing up a fan of a football program, you want that moment from the time you were a four or five year old. He got it, and I'm just really happy for him. Uh, and then one more, one more. Uh, how about we give it to Penn State student section because Minnesota committed what was it seven false starts or whatever? Um, Two on the first drive. Yeah, Penn State students made life difficult for Minnesota's offense in a game where things were already difficult for Minnesota's offense. So yeah, great. Uh, you wanted to add anything on top of that, Nick? I was only I was going to ask is do you know catcher's eligibility status right now by chance? I hope he goes and bees an accountant. <laughs> I just wonder because like he, he's just somebody like he he has never played anything close to a full season and he's like I I do wonder if he's the kind of if he has another year now that he finally seems to be healthy like would he stick around for one more just tr- to try to get one healthy year as an any line I'm not sure I I imagine he, he this might be his last year but like he I know he, he probably redshirted he probably had the medical redshirt and then he had the COVID year so who knows at this point. Um, so let's uh, let, let's let's go through and mention guys in his recruiting class who are currently in the NFL. <laughs> Micah Parsons is in his second year in the NFL. Rashid Walker is in his first. Adafe Owe is in his second. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jahan Dotson is in his first, and Pat Fryermuth is in his second, second or third. Okay, yeah, second. he's he's played NFL football, and uh, Jesse Lukita is also in his first. Which is to say. Uh, I hope he goes and makes a lot of money doing something. Uh, but yeah, that's it for the Minnesota game. I think that ties a nice little bow on it. Uh, and now the big bad wolf is coming to blow Penn State's house down. The Nittany Lions uh, are hosting the Ohio State Buckeyes, uh, 7-0, number two team in the country uh, in Happy Valley this week. Big noon kickoff is coming to this one. Uh, it's going to be on Fox. It's going to be the Joel Klatt and uh, Gus Johnson game. The Buckeyes, number two team in the nation per the AP poll. They are the, uh, give me one moment because I just X'd out of this, number one team in the country per SP plus, second offense, fifth defense, 93rd on special teams. Uh, Our our friends out in the desert have this as a 15-point spread. Ohio State 15-point road favorites in this one. Uh, Nick, before we, you know, throughout this week, we have some stuff planned. We're going to have our preview podcast. I'm going to have a friend on, uh, from out here on the Ohio state beat who can give us a bit of a glimpse into the Buckeyes. But before we start diving in and start preparing for that game, what are your kind of just general broad overarching thoughts about Penn state's game against Ohio state this weekend? Uh, I think number one, 15 is a lot, um, for this game that even, even in the years where the it has seemed the most lopsided, it typically stays pretty close for the most part. Um, even if it's not actually close, it typically stays relatively close on the scoreboard. So that's that's pretty interesting. Um, but two, you know, it's I think it's honestly pretty similar to what we were saying ahead of the Michigan game. In that, yes, Ohio State has been dominant 
to this point. But it's also true that they have not had to play a team that can competently play on defense and offense because, yes, they played Iowa last week. Did you watch any of that football game, Nick? I watched the first uh, maybe first quarter, maybe. God damn it, it sucked, man. It was it was like, awful. I uh, God, I, I need so I need an update on this. I need an update on the Charlie Jones versus the versus the Iowa offense tracker. I will do that while you were continuing to talk. But I was uh, before that happens. I was hanging out at a at a bar watching Manchester City on uh, on Saturday morning, and the bar's owner came in and was given a free ticket. And he, not a huge Ohio, not an Ohio State fan, not a Iowa, just you know likes watching the games. And he was so upset about potentially having to go to this goddamn football game. He ended up doing it, and I'm going and I'm going to bust his chops the next time I see him. But uh, apologies. Please continue talking while I look up Charlie Jones versus Iowa's offense. Yeah, so like we, like I said, going into the Michigan game, our big talking point was, you know, yeah, Michigan's really good, but they haven't had to actually play a team that, you know, could potentially punish them for turning the ball over or could potentially stop them after they go down and score on them. I think it's a lot of the same story. Ohio State, to this point this year, has played Notre Dame, who's turned out to be horrible. Arkansas, Arkansas State, Toledo, Wisconsin, and that was when Wisconsin was down real bad. Rutgers, uh, Michigan State, who's awful, and Iowa, who doesn't know what offense is. Brian Farron should be in jail, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> <laughs> so I like there is potential for Penn State to do something here. I don't know what that something is yet, but there is potential for them to do something, especially when you consider for whatever stock you want to put in it, Penn State does a good job of playing Ohio State, a much better job than they do of playing Michigan. They're much Every time they play Ohio State, they're much more confident, they're much pro, more prepared, and they come out swinging. As opposed to Michigan, they come out with one foot already out the door trying to leave wherever they are. So I think there is something to that. I think there is something to the fact that they, you know, they proved this week that their offense can do something against a really good defense in Minnesota. And Ohio State, to be clear, their offense is the selling point, but they also have a very good defense. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that they're going to be able to keep pace with Ohio State in a track meet because essentially nobody can do that. I think the path to Penn State winning that game, though, is getting to 38, 40 points and finding a way to turn C.J. Stroud over twice or three times, which, you know, again, it's possible. They are going to throw the football. Penn State has a great secondary. They are going to try to make plays on the ball. I don't know how Penn State's defense is going to hold up against a team that can throw the way Ohio State can and run the way Ohio State can. Yes. Ryan Day does some weird things, just like Urban Meyer before him. He does some weird things against Penn State where he either like he forgets that one dimension of his offense exists from time to time for whatever reason. I don't know what it is with Buckeye coaches that like I don't know what what it is about Penn State that allows that to happen every year. But it's it's going to be really, really tough for Penn State, as it would be for anybody against Ohio State. But there is a sliver of a pathway, especially at home. That's all I'll say for now. Yeah. Uh, so the tracker. 
Uh, Charlie Jones in eight games, 72 catches, 840 yards, (laughs) 11.7 yards. 11.7 11.7 yards per completion and nine touchdowns. I actually think if memory serves, he left their game against Maryland. He, yeah, he, early, he didn't but... play one of the full games. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think it was Maryland because he had three catches in that game. I was offense in seven games 98 catches, 1,021 yards, 10.4 yards per completion, and two touchdowns. Jesus. Uh, Iowa, uh, pulling this up now because I forgot to look at that. Two passing touchdowns and five rushing touchdowns. So Charlie Jones has more touchdowns than I was on. Oh, uh, God. I, I'm, once this podcast ends, I'm excited to tweet that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Brian Ferentz needs go- to be exiled to the island of Elba and live out the rest of his days on top of Napoleon's bones. Correct. Uh, I, I didn't expect this podcast to go in that direction. Uh, here's the thing. Everything that we are going to say about Penn State beating Ohio State and Penn State's path to beating Ohio State is going to be couched and it's not going to be easy. Getting over the hurdle to end all hurdles is not supposed to be easy. The tough, the big boss at the end of the video game is the toughest one. Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's punch out is the hardest one to beat. You know, get whatever, you know, Bowser in every Mario game, whatever you want to say. That is Ohio State. Ohio State is in the top three programs in college football. They have more money, more talent, better coaching, better facility, better everything than Penn State. So if Penn State is going to win this football game, it is going to need something unforeseen to happen, something you don't expect to happen. And that's where the problems come in. That's why this is going to be so difficult. Because, like Nick mentioned, you're going to need C.J. Stroud to have the kind of bad game that he doesn't normally have. You need Ohio State's running game to not click in the way that it uh, in the way that it has for much of this season. You're going to need Ohio State's defense to crumble uh, on the road when it just has not done that. So you need a bunch of stuff to go right, but at the same time, Penn State has built its program with the goal in mind of knocking off Ohio State. That is, for my money, why they look so bad against Michigan, because they view Ohio State as the hurdle they have to clear. And that is why I think Penn State needs to go into this game and play for broke. I think Penn State needs to accept that, uh, you know, you might go out there and get your asses kicked. Well, basically, no matter what, you're going to get your asses kicked. You need to go out there and let this be the game. Let this be the James Franklin's mission statement for Penn State football, that we exist to beat Ohio State, to compete with Ohio State, to whatever against Ohio State. And will they? I don't think they will. Can they? I don't know if they can. But I also didn't know or think or believe in them out of that 2016 game. We're going to learn a lot about this Penn State program I'm not going to say about this Penn State team. I'm going to be very particularly careful to not say this Penn State team. We're going to worry about where Penn State's program is based on what happens in this football game. And I'm excited. I can't wait to see it. I have friends coming in from out of town. I'm going to be watching with Ohio State people. Uh, Should be be a blast. Uh, Nick, any final things you want to say before I wrap up this edition of the podcast? Only thing I'll say in addition to the podcast that bill does with his ohio state buddy this week also look forward to uh we're gonna have ryan snyder from on three on at some point this Let's week go. for a podcast and he's gonna kind of give us the the download of 
things he's learned about recruiting from the past weekend. Obviously, there were a ton of recruits in town, so uh, going to be plenty, plenty to listen for and learn about then. So be on the lookout for that as well. Awesome. So absolutely, keep an eye out for that and everything that we have coming this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Ryan's Roar. As always, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast wherever you go and get your podcast. Check out the Linktree link in our Twitter bio. If you're on YouTube, hop into the comments. Have a nice conversation with other Penn State fans. Make sure you throw us a like there. If you use Apple... And the Michigan fans that are there. And the Michigan fans love us. Uh, they, they, they haven't gone away. They're, they're like fruit flies. They're here to stay. That, that's, that's right. We're going to put out a plate of honey and hope they get sucked stuck in them so they finally go away uh make sure uh if you use apple podcast you leave us a five-star review over there if you're using spotify give us a nice little thumbs up over there make sure you're following us on our twitter account where you can keep up to date with everything that we have going on and as always thank you to homefield apparel for sponsoring this podcast uh make sure you're using the promo code roar lions roar one word all uppercase if you are a new customer for 15 percent off of your first order one last time, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of the podcast for Nick Pollock. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State.